Let's all stand as we go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, in verses uh, 28 through 39. As we focus our minds upon, we won. We really won. Romans chapter 8, in verses 28 through 39. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who's against us? And he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yea, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, sword? And just as it is written, for the sake we are being put to death all day long, we were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. And our gracious Heavenly Father, we come and we pray that these words will permeate our hearts, that, O oh God, we may be encouraged to live this new year with the conviction that we are super conquerors in Jesus Christ. In your name I pray. Amen. Romans chapter 8 moves toward a great climax of assurance of salvation in our relationship with the Lord God. Paul began his letter in Romans chapter 1 and verses 16 and 17 and saying, I have a debt to pay. And it's an awesome debt. 
I'm under obligation to the Greeks, to barbarians, to the Chinese, to the Quichuas, to Dixie. I'm under obligation to preach, for I'm on my part eager to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome in Dixie. And then in verses 16 and 17, he tells us what that goal is, the purpose of writing this letter. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Interesting the way he states it. It's like me saying, I am not ashamed of Anne, with whom I've lived for 56 years. I'm proud. I'm excited about being married to Anne. I married up when I married her. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm proud of it. I'm excited about it. I'm not ashamed of the good news, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek, and put a star out beside verse 17. For it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. It's not a cultural thing. It's a theological thing. Man stands condemned before a holy and a righteous God. And Paul says, I got some good news. And the good news is the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. But the righteous man shall live by faith. And then Paul continues that theme all the way through 16 chapters to illustrate and to prove here's salvation in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Romans comes to chapter 8 and there is this, this grand climax of assurance of salvation and sanctification. No matter what the circumstances are, Paul will conclude by saying that we are super conquerors. That we're the ones who have in our possession the glorious, wonderful, good news, and it has radically changed our lives. It has transformed our lives only as God can do it in his marvelous grace. And Paul asked a question, is there anything that can defeat God's eternal purpose? Anything? Can anything separate us from the love of God that he has for us in Jesus Christ? And Paul would jump and shout and he'd say, no way, nothing, nothing. We are super conquerors in him. Romans, Romans chapter 8, in verses 28 through 30 speak of salvation being the work of God from the beginning to the end. It's God's work. It reminds us of the words of the apostle uh, Peter when Peter concluded his great message and said that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that's given among men whereby we may be saved. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one 
comes to the Father except through me. That's not a cultural thing. That's a theological thing. In the eyes of a holy and righteous God, those words give us assurance. They give us security that we come together this day and we worship him with all of our hearts, all of our mind, all of our soul, knowing that he is our righteousness. None of us will ever go to heaven on our virtue. We don't have any. None of us will go on our own self-righteousness because we don't have any. And the emphasis all the way through Romans is that Christ is my righteousness. And the only way we enter into the presence of the Lord God is through that righteousness in Jesus Christ. Paul asks five questions. Interesting, these are questions that have come up in conversations in my life for the past 60 years. Various occasions and various dialogues and in presenting of the gospel and talking to people, there come these five questions and they keep coming up over and over again. How you answer those questions determines your eternal relationship with the Lord God. And Paul, Paul states and powerfully says that God, God is the one, God is the one who foreknew, God is the one who predestined, God is the one who conformed us in the image of his son, whom God predestined, God called, and whom God called, he justified, whom he justified, he glorified. Well, it's all about God. Our part is when he asked the question in verse 31. What shall we say about these things? What is our response to the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is our response when we come to grips with these questions and with the awesome fact that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, for God's glory alone? What is our response? That is our responsibility. And Paul begins in verse 31 and asks if God is for us, who is against us? Boy, without the introductory clause, I can think of a hundred things of what is against us and who is against us this day as believers in Jesus Christ. But Paul's question is, if, if God is for us, the God who foreknew, the God who predestined, the God who called, the God who justified, the God who glorified us, if that God is for us, who's against us? Why does it even matter who's against us if that great truth? With God on our side, we can, then who's against us? And our English word, if, sort of communicates the idea of doubt. But in the original language, 
And this passage of scripture, there's no doubt why it's a first class condition of certainty. In view of the fact would be a good way of translating it. Since, since this is true, since God is for us, who's against us? In view of the fact that God is for us, who's against us? Take a pen and circle if in the margin right since because it is a fact. If you have come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've been born again. Hey, this is a fact. God is for us. He's not against us. Reminds us of Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, does it not? For I'm confident of this very thing, and that he who began a good work in you will perfect it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And he has not stopped. From the moment he, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God started a work, and he will complete it. No questions about it. The Lord God is not going to stop until he has conformed you into the likeness of his son. And that's what sanctification is all about. So Paul is saying God is for me. He's not against me. Since God plus me is a whole person, does it really matter who is against me? So our text Assume that the Lord is on the side of his people and our confidence is in him alone. Isn't that what Paul has been saying all along? In Romans chapter, chapter 5, he says, based upon everything, he's written up until the beginning of chapter 5, he says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in chapter 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are what? Justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Those who are in Christ Jesus, those who have come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and why we have the peace of God because of this perfect reconciliation that comes through Jesus Christ. So Paul, Paul answers that first question. What is your response to that question? If God is for us, who's against us? Have you answered that one? Do you have that deep sense of assurance in your heart and soul? Yes, God is for me. And therefore, because he's taking care of the bigger problem, he'll take care of the lesser problem. Since God is for us, who can be against us? And then he raises another question in verse 32. If God graciously gave his son for us, will he not freely give us all things? That's the most awesome thing in all the world, that the Lord God, God the Father, did not spare his own son, but gave him up, sent him to the cross. He who did not spare his own son. When we pause for a moment and ponder what he's saying in those words, it is absolutely incredible. 
marvelous, wonderful, what love, what infinite love he has for us as we sit here this day. He did not spare his own son. What did you do? He delivered him over for us all. Reminds me of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 in verses um, 18 and 19. Peter has the same idea in mind when it says in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18. And knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your father. And to put it in a positive way, he says, you were redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. God, in his infinite, wonderful grace, God chose to send the very best thing about heaven itself. God, God the Son incarnate, came and died in our place on the cross and to give us freedom from our transgressions. He paid our sin debt. He delivered up for our transgressions. This expression in verse 32, if God graciously gave his son for us, in the way Paul states it, so beautifully, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all. The very structure, the very words it uses, the words for us had the meaning instead of, on behalf of, in the place of. It's substitutionary atonement is what he's talking about. Christ died in our stead, on our behalf. He took our place on the cross. And if we remove the idea of substitution, then there is no saving value in the words that Jesus died in our behalf. Christ took our place. Karl Barth, the great theologian, arrived in New York and he was going to give a meeting at the World Council of Churches and there's the big splash about Carl Bart is coming. A reporter dashed out to the airport, put her microphone in the face of Carl Bart and said, Dr. Bart, Dr. Bart, what's the most important word in the Bible? And she thought, sure, he's going to say it, agape, love. And the old German theologian looked at her and said, Huber, Huber, that's the most important word. She didn't have the faintest idea of what he was talking about. They all scampled for their, their Greek lexicons in the place of, instead of, on behalf of. And that was the great battle that was going on my day in the seminary was over that word, in place of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us here, 
He went to the cross. God's greatest gift is that he sent his son to the cross to bear our iniquities, our sins. He did it for us. Not universalism. The us refers to those who have been born again. Those who have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And God has already given his very best. And so Paul's question, once again, if God graciously gave his son for us, oh, the question, don't will, will he not freely give us all things? <laughs> if he can take care of the big problem, he can surely take care of the lesser problem. The big problem is our relationship with the Lord God. That's the big one. And he has taken care of the biggest problem in our lives. What is our relationship with the Lord God? And if he has taken care of our sin problem, surely he can take care of all the lesser things that have to do with our living the Christian life. He's given us his son, do you think he's going to hold back on whatever is needed in your life as a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things in the context. The things we get so hot and bothered about in this coming year. And it says priority. Priority, God has taken care of the most important things and he'll take care of the lesser things. And since God has done the greater deed, will he not take care of the lesser things in my life? Years ago, I came to the commitment, probably 60 years ago, that when God calls, he equips. And he provides. He provides in his own way. And he did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also freely give us all things? And then he raises another question, verse 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? I love that one. Are you the elect of God? Have you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Has there come a day and time and moment when you realize that you're under the condemnation of the Lord God and that Jesus Christ paid your debt and he, he went to the cross, died for you? And there's the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God and you put your faith and trust in him as your savior? Wow. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? Christ is our advocate. He pleads our case before God the Father. Verse 33 says, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Oh, wow. God who is the judge is the one who has acquitted you. In that moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there was a declaration of God the Father that said, Justified. 
Will Pounces justified a right standing before the Lord God for all eternity? God going to change his mind? Not in my book, he's not going to change his mind. He's the one who made the decision. He is the judge. God is judge, and he's already acquitted the believer. And since God is the one who justifies, our justification can never be overthrown. He is completely satisfied with the righteousness of his son. And God made him who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf, my behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's that imputed righteousness that the Lord God imputes to the person who is justified by faith, who put the faith and trust in Christ alone. We're God's elect whom he has justified and if God justified us, no accusation will ever stand against you. Now, if God is, God's not listening to the accusations against you, then why should I get preoccupied with the accusations against me? So the only cure for our sin problem is justification by faith and God's taking care of it and when God justifies us we have nothing to fear about our relationship with him another question who shall condemn us Verse 34 tells us, who is the one who condemns? And Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised and who is at the right hand of the God and is also intercedes for us. And so the only one who has the right to condemn is God the Father and Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us, but Jesus, Jesus died for us. The greatest assurance of all, security of all, Jesus Christ died for you. And he adds to it and says, and the greater assurance is that God raised him from the dead, and that's the proof. And moreover, God seated him at the right hand of the Father. And guess who's praying for you right now? Isn't that wonderful? That even right now, in this very moment, as you listen to this message, we have one intercessor within our hearts, our person. He's interceding. He's probing our hearts. He's calling us to faith in Jesus Christ and trusting him and taking these words and applying them to our lives but we also have another intercessor, right hand of the Father, and he is interceding for every one of us seated here today. Wow. Security? Assurance? Who will condemn us? And Paul says, hey, 
It's not Christ. Christ is the one who intercedes for us right now, this very moment. The only one who condemn is praying for us. And for those who have never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you think about, hey, wait a minute, what's he talking about, you know? And for the individuals listening to my voice who have never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he's interceding for you right now this very moment, and he's calling you to faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. But for those of us who know Christ as our personal Savior, here is this awesome awesome sense of assurance that comes only from him because he he is the one who justifies so Jesus Christ is either our savior or else he is our judge the gospel writer John tells us in John chapter 3 verse 18 he who believes in him Christ is not judged but it's already taken place the moment you put your faith and trust in Christ as a Savior. And he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Isn't it wonderful we have a lawyer? <laughs> a good lawyer? <laughs> a faithful lawyer? A just lawyer? at the right hand of the Father interceding for us right now at this very moment? That's the greatest thing in my life I can think about, that he is interceding for Will Pounds, and when Will Pounds blows it, he's the one. He's the one we call upon. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What a God we worship. Christ will never, never condemn us because he's justified us. Our advocate paid the debt of our sins with his own blood, and the score is settled. We're free. We're free to live the Christian life. Oh, another question, Will. The big question. Who will separate us from from Christ's love for us. Who? And Paul personifies these words that, that follow in this passage of Scripture. Is there any way we can lose our salvation? How many times have you been asked that question? Who is more powerful than Jesus Christ? If Jesus Christ is our Savior, if he is the one who is interceding for us, can anything separate us from him? Well, Paul's response is, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Well, tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Who? is more powerful than Jesus Christ. What can separate us from him? Who is sufficient to come and remove you and me from the hands of the Lord God? John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. So Paul lists 
list these struggles in the Christian's life. We faced them in the past year. We face them in this new year. And as we look at the world in which we live in, who knows what will pass this year? Paul personifies these words. Who, who will separate us from the love of Christ? And Paul asked the question, what, tribulation? And the word tribulation here is a strong pressures in life. We see pictures in movies of in Israel and in the Greece as they stomp out the grapes in the wine press. Uh, the beautiful women with naked feet and they're crushing the grapes, <laughs> squeezing out, freezing, freezing out the grape juice. The strong pressures in life that stomp against us. Have you, have you felt like in this last year that you're being crushed, that you're being stomped on? Well, what would separate us from the love of Christ? Would it be tribulation? Would it be distress? Hardships, the outward afflictions plus distress, the inner stress? The word describes being caught in, in a tight place of a mountain climber as he's caught within the, the rocks. Are you carrying any heavy burdens, crushing burdens these days, and the pressures are upon you? Do you feel squeezed in by life? Squeezed in by the circumstances that you, you face these days? Have you grown weary of life and feel beaten down by life? Have you come to the place where you feel like you can't take it anymore? The crushing effects, the pressures, that are overwhelming you? That's what Paul is asking. Can anything, can anything separate us from the love of Christ? Persecution? And the word means to be hunted down like an animal and killed. Every time I go to South America, I meet up with family members whose parents or loved ones were hunted down like animals and murdered because of the faith in Jesus Christ. It's happening around the world today. More persecution in this generation than in the history of the church. Famine. It's the famine that comes from, from those who are forced to lose their jobs because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Nakedness. Lack of clothes because there's no means of getting them. The economic persecution that comes because a person puts the faith and trust in Jesus Christ as a personal savior. Peril and dangers. The sword. Why, it's the sword of execution. Paul, Paul in a few years will be executed by the sword. So Paul quotes Psalm 44 when he says, for your sake, we're being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. In the eyes of the Roman government, that's exactly what it was. The persecutions that come. And so when Paul draws his conclusion at the end of this chapter, he's asking the question, what is my attitude toward the pressures, the circumstances, the changes that are taking place in, 
in my life. Harold Kushner, Major Kushner, tells about an Army medical officer held by the Vietnam, Viet Cong for five and a half years. And among the prisoners in Kushner's POW camp was a tough young Marine, 24 years of age, who had recently survived two years of prison life in relative good health. And part of the reason was that the camp commander had promised the release of the man if he cooperated. And since this had worked on the other prisoners, the Marine turned into a model POW. But with the passing of time, he gradually realized that he was being lied to, and when the full realization affected his attitudes and he became a zombie. He refused to do work, refused all offers of food, encouragement, and simply lay on his cot, sucking his thumb, in a matter of weeks he was dead. Pressures, pressures of life. And Paul says, is there anything that can separate us from the love of God? And Paul continues in verses 37, 39, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And for I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, heights, depth, not any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the anchor. And this is what keeps us in a life as a believer. And all these things we overwhelmingly conquer. Paul uses a compound word. We are super conquerors. It's a compound word meaning to conquer, to carry off the victory, and the hooper to above, to strengthen it. We are, yes, more than conquerors, but we're super conquerors in the way Paul describes it. And he says, I'm convinced. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, principalities, I'm convinced, Paul says, is, it's a perfect tense. I am persuaded. I have come to this settled reason conclusion and nobody is going to change me, is the way Paul states it. Do you have that same conviction? Do you have that same way of looking at life regardless of what is coming in this new year? Can you take God as his word? And yes, yes, yes. I anchor, I anchor myself in his righteousness. 
Well, is Paul a pie in the sky, or is this real to the life of the Apostle Paul? Listen to these words of Paul. Listen to his testimony in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and following. Testimony of Paul. Oh, man, the folks over at Corinth have beaten the life out of him. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if I'm insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. And once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, in dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among the false brethren. And I have been in labor and hardship. And through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst and often without food and the cold and exposure. And then he tells us he's a Baptist preacher. <laughs> Apart from such external things, there's a the daily pressure upon me concerning all the churches. <laughs> it's real. What Paul is telling us in this passage of scripture is real. It was real in his life and with conviction he can come and say we're more than conquerors. And with Paul we can shout out and say we won, we won, we won in this battle of the new year. Brings us back, does it not, to these five questions? And the critical question of all, what is your relationship with Jesus Christ? That's the bottom line. Have you come to that place in your life as an individual when you have sensed that yes, yes, I do stand condemned in the presence of a holy and righteous God of the universe? But I believe that Jesus Christ went to the cross and died in my place as my substitute. And I have put my faith and trust in Christ alone as my righteousness. And being justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone for God's glory alone, you can take him at his And as you listen to this program or watch on Facebook, and if you've never made that decision for Jesus Christ, I invite you right now, this very moment, to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection for you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved right now, this very moment. We're fixing to give an invitation here. 
If there are individuals who have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this is your invitation today. Our pastor is going to come and stand. And if you need help in making that decision for Jesus Christ, now is the moment as the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart. Our gracious Heavenly Father, and as believers in Jesus Christ, we come and we thank you. We thank you from the depths of our heart that you have answered all of these questions. And we stand clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ for all eternity. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for a new year. And we pray that the grace of God permeate the hearts of this congregation for your glory for all eternity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.